question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. All right. I upset Roy with a question last night. I do want to get to that, but it can wait a few minutes because I want to talk about the game first. These two statements I'm about to say might sound like they're contradictory of each other, but I believe they're both true. Number one, losing to Marquette at home is North Carolina's worst loss of the year. But I also think this game could do the Tar Heels a lot of good down the stretch. Huh? Here's what I mean. Carolina is one of the youngest teams in all of the ACC, and young teams need games. Remember when NC State in December scheduled a road game against St. Louis, who's a pretty good team, and they did so with only nine players able to dress and travel to that game? State fans were livid. Well, why are we doing this? We don't have all our guys. This is a good team. Why does it make sense to schedule this game? We're probably going to lose. And then when they did lose... You had state fans even more mad. What happened the following week? They beat North Carolina inside PNC Arena. And after the game, Kevin Keats said, we have a very young team here. We needed to get back into the flow of things. The reason we won this game is because we were able to play last week on the road. The same is true with North Carolina. It's about getting in the flow of games. And I do think... The number of games you play, it's going to tell me a lot about what your potential is in the NCAA tournament. The Heels, they've played more games than any team in the ACC this year. Roy, he said it multiple times leading up to last night. I'd rather have two, three practices and a game than five straight days of practices any day of the week. That's the flow. Two or three practices, then you have a game. Two or three practices, then you have a game. He didn't want to break up that monotony out of fear that they were going to lose to Marquette, you're North Carolina basketball. Schedule a team. Play them. It doesn't matter if it's Marquette or Gonzaga. Line them up. Play the game. Roy wanted it to be at home. He got them at home. It was a bad game for the Heels. Which leads to my second point. Young teams, they need they need games. We know that. But young teams also lose games like that. North Carolina's caught a lot of breaks this year. Last year, they lost a lot of close games. This year, they've won a lot of close games. They haven't had that really bad loss this year. Duke, they've had a number of them. Losing at home to Notre Dame, losing at Miami. It's interesting I bring up those two teams because North Carolina survived bad losses against both those teams. In Miami, if Andrew Playtech doesn't hit a runner on the baseline... On a play, I didn't even know he had enough space to catch the ball. Who knows? Maybe North Carolina loses that game. Leaky Black, who wasn't scoring the entire game in Chapel Hill, early January against the Irish. If he doesn't hit a runner to put Carolina ahead late, and Dayron Sharp, if he doesn't lose his mind in that game, maybe that's their bad loss. To North Carolina's credit, they haven't had that terrible loss until last night. That's what happens with young teams. So I wouldn't overreact to that. It's better it happens in a non-conference game on February the 24th than, I don't know, in Greensboro in a couple weeks? Or how about three weeks from today where the NCAA tournament's going to be starting? It's better it happens right now than happening in games of more consequence. 
And lastly here, we've covered young teams needing games, young teams losing games like that. It's normal. Young teams need to learn and to be coached. When you're, I haven't been in the gym for a while because we haven't been allowed to. Before the pandemic, I was really getting into kickboxing. Now I look like a kickboxing bag, not in a good way. But the thinking behind working out and doing any type of weightlifting is breaking down muscle. You need to break down muscle, break down the cells and the, the tissue in order to grow muscle, to grow strength there, to strengthen your muscles. And the same is true, I think, when it comes to growing in other contexts, in basketball. Roy Williams, he can tell this group until he's blue in the face, if you play this way, if you don't bring a certain level of focus and attention, you're going to lose. He could keep saying that, but it's not nearly going to have the same effect until it actually happens. Roy has been given now more ammunition than he has at any other point this year, short of the poor defensive performance they had in Raleigh, to coach his team up, to get them where they need to be for this stretch run, three more games left in the regular season, the ACC tournament, and now the NCAA tournament. If I have the options between playing and not playing, I'm going to play, especially if I'm the University of North Carolina men's basketball program. You don't play afraid. You play the games. But it was amazing. Last night, we'll get to the calls in a bit, 336-777-1600 on Twitter at SportsUpTrying. As soon as the game ends, Robert, I see my Twitter mentions flooded with Carolina fans who are upset that they played the game against Marquette. It is hindsight, but that was going to be the biggest discussion point coming out of this game. Here's what we're tasked to do in the media. We're the mouthpiece for the fans, or we're the liaison between the fans and the media. Ask the players and coaches the questions at times they may not want to answer. So, Roy, he got upset. Before we break down what happened, let's hear it in case you missed it last night. What would you say to Carolina fans who are questioning whether or not it made sense to schedule this game considering the result? <laughs> well, if I'd known we were going to lose, God Almighty, I wouldn't schedule the thing. Come on, we can't operate in damn hindsight. God Almighty. If you'd told me we were going to lose, hell yeah, we wouldn't have played the game. If you'd told me we were going to beat the Lakers, I'd have scheduled them. Carolina fans, they're not that dumb. If they are, I got no answers for them. God Almighty, we got that twice. We got a hell yes and a Lakers drop in there, Robert. I you didn't think we'd knock all that out. You can't beat that, man. I, I love you ticking him off. I think this should be your whole shtick. I don't love ticking off Roy, but it happens. Here's the thing. If you're going to cover a team in an independent context like the one we have here, trying to cover teams fairly, Carolina, Wake, NC State, Duke, UNCG, so on and so forth. If you cover a team for multiple years and you don't tick off a coach with one of your questions, you're probably doing it wrong. Let me start in defending Roy for a second. There are some out there saying, Roy stormed out of his press conference after that question. It's not true. Here's what happened. We're doing this over Zoom. Roy's ticked off. And when Roy is ticked, guess what happens? Reporters don't want to ask him questions. So there weren't any hands up in the Zoom call. I wasn't even planning to ask a question. So I said, all right, screw it. I'll ask a question. And I asked something about 
something he said earlier in the press conference to clarify on it. And then I followed, because they're at home, they shouldn't be in any type of rush. I, I followed up, as you would, with the question that you just heard. Now, as he was answering my first question, I noticed Roy was folding up his piece of paper. He folds up his box score when he thinks that the press conference is about to end. You have a moderator, and he asked, hey, is there any more questions? And then they got to mine. So I can understand why Roy felt that my question, or questions, were going to be the last one, the last ones that he heard. I genuinely felt he thought it was the end of the presser. Because when he's folding up the box score, that's what he does when he's about to walk out of the room. People that covered the team for a while, they know that. Second thing. The critique of the question is hilarious. I'm being sent clips right now that apparently we got Pablo Torre and Katie Nolan breaking it down on highly questionable right now. Okay, here's the deal. UNC fans, I get it. You're mad they lost. You don't like seeing Roy upset, so let's just lash out at the, the reporter here. But that is a question. Three or four times today, while I'm getting my hair cut, while I'm sitting here in the office, Somebody's come up to me and say, was that you who said that? Well, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. So the ones I'm getting the most criticism from is actually people in the media. Those who are going to sit there and say, eh, well, the wording of that, it, uh, it, uh, you could have used this word and could have said this a lot better. Okay, maybe you're right. But you weren't the one sitting there on Zoom with an angry basketball coach asking a question that he did not want to answer. So was it the best wording? Probably not. But it got from point A to point B. And the last piece here, he would never admit this. Roy Williams would never admit this. But I believe it to be true. I think I did Roy a favor. Guess what they're talking about on ESPN's Highly Questionable? My question, rather than how the hell did North Carolina lose to a 10-12 and 12 Marquette team, a game that you scheduled in order for you to win? That, that's what people were talking about today. Eh, you know, it's fine. I'll be a scapegoat. I don't care. It reminds me. I remember I was sitting next to David Glenn at an ACC tournament about 10 years ago. Seth Greenberg, he was on the hot seat of Virginia Tech, and he was asked a question by DG about his job security. It seemed like every year he was on the hot seat. DG asked about it, and Seth Greenberg lit him up. Days later, DG got a thank you note from Seth Greenberg for asking that question because hey, you just can't speak out of turn about things that you hear that might bother you. It gave him an opportunity to let the Virginia Tech administration, to let his players know, to let the alumni know, the boosters know, this is why I should still be your basketball coach. There are Carolina fans saying, you know, exactly what I set up that question for. And Roy had an opportunity to knock him back and I agreed with every single word that he said there. 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Let's go to Ed in Winston-Salem. Tar Heel fan joining us. Mike DeCourcy, Hall of Fame sports writer, going to join us in less than 20 minutes. Ed, go right ahead. Yeah, Josh, uh, that question that you uh, put out, to me it was fair and honest, and it needed to be asked. I mean, if you're going to schedule a, a 10 and 12 team, you need to win that game. And... Uh, the performance wasn't that good, but they did come back in the second half, showed a little life, outscored him by three points. But you can't turn the ball over, like we said many times before, 19 times, and then shoot 10 to 12% in all three phases of your shooting uh, 
abilities, and uh, that's basically, you know, basically uh, the game. But hopefully they learn something. Like you said, this is a learning experience, a young team, and hopefully they learn. And the thing that really does tick me off, Josh, is this help defense. Where we're double-teaming people, which is ridiculous. Yeah. If you can't guard a man one-on-one, why the hell are you going to leave somebody wide open? I know we had to cut it down to 14 to 13. We come down to court two times. Playtech goes off his man trying to double-team somebody, and they hit a wide-open three out of that right corner. Mm. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, but, uh, thank you so much. You yeah. I, yeah, you're fired up, man. Carolina fans are fired up today. Robert, what do you find to be the funniest thing that's happened today? Funniest I, thing that you've read about this? I, I don't know if it's – I just love hearing people flustered about it. I don't know. And I love Ed. I love when Ed calls in. I love you being flustered defending your question. Like, it's just – I don't know. It's just fun for me. I didn't even defend the question. It's not my best question. Or whatever but you're defending. Whatever you, you were listen- flustered over. That's what I was loving. Homework assignment for anybody listening. Pull up any college press conference. Any college press conference. And I guarantee you, that question I asked, better than 75% of the questions you'll hear in those pressers. Guarantee it. Was it my best question? No. Was it a bad question? No. There you go. Mel Kuyper has the Panthers taking Mac Jones over Trey Lance in his latest mock draft. I'll tell you why this really shouldn't surprise you. Next on The Drive. Now comes the moment you have all been waiting for. All right, whenever you're ready. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I'm going to pose this to you, Robert. Pre-Senior Bowl. Remember when I told you Mac Jones' name was going to heat up so much that mock drafts would have Carolina taking him at eight? Unfortunately, yes. I remember that because it was the day of the insurrection last month. Moving on quickly from that, Mel Kuyper now has Mac being taken in his latest mock draft, number eight to Carolina. And not only that, he has Carolina taking Mac over North Dakota State's Trey Lance as Lance going ninth. And while I personally might disagree with the evaluation for reasons we could talk about in a second, it really shouldn't shock anybody if the draft breaks this way in late April. I understand it. When you're hungry for a Fields or a Wilson, settling for a Mac Jones, probably not the most exciting thing. But what we know, You, me, you sitting in your car in your home, the Carolina Panthers, football fans across the country. We are more certain about who Mac Jones is than Trey Lance. Lance is a bigger risk than Mac is, which might be something you disagree with just because Lance has always been higher up on these draft boards, but Lance didn't play last year. We've only seen one season of tape from Lance, FCS North Dakota, North Dakota State, don't want to tick off the folks, don't want to tick off the Bison fan out there, fans, multiple, again, burying a hole here. But um, he didn't play this past year. You had this made-for-TV event that he really didn't even play that well in, didn't throw an interception that entire season, so a lot of the scouts fell in love with him and his frame, it looks NFL-worthy. Mac Jones, he played all last year. He played the final few games for Alabama the year before that. And 
there is a level of certainty with that. Hey, this is what this player was. He's a little bit more polished. He's a little bit more developed. If we're going to take somebody in the top 10, we want to know what we have more than to take a chance. That's why we might be going Mac Jones here. I understand that. But this was the argument that Mel Kuyper made earlier today talking about why he linked Mac Jones to the Carolina Panthers at eight. How about 77-plus percent completion percentage this year? Uh, he was flawless, and he didn't have Jalen Waddle after October 24th. You know, he had Devontae Smith. So for Mac Jones, they didn't have Judy and Ruggs. They had moved on. Tua had all those guys. Uh, Mac Jones did not. He was nearly 80% completion percentage at all levels, short, medium range, and deep. So for me, I think the Senior Bowl week with Matt Rule. Now, Deshaun Watson, Greeny, you know, is the trade going to happen? Who's going to get Deshaun Watson? Will he be dealt? That could alter things, obviously, in the top 10. But if things stay the way they are, Carolina, how if you're Matt Rule and you like Matt Jones coming in. How can you not love him coming out of Senior Bowl week? I do love how Mel paints Alabama and Mac Jones to be lacking talent. He didn't even have Jalen Waddle. He only had <laughs> Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, and Najee Harris and Mechie and the best offensive line in the SEC. <laughs> Poor Mac Jones. Poor Mac Jones. He didn't have enough support. He only had Steve Sarkeesian as his coach and probably three other NFL or college quality head coaches that are, you know, advisors at Alabama. Oh, and Nick Saban is your head coach. Oh, poor Mac Jones. Woe is him. He's not lying. And I, I hear the argument there. The most important thing he said is that Carolina worked with him at the Senior Bowl. And aside from the first day that was wet and it was difficult to get timing down with guys he had it thrown to before, Mac was really good. He didn't play in the actual game, but the game doesn't really matter as much as the practices do. Most people are out of town in Mobile by the time the games play because you want to see specific players and specific matchups and how they look in given spots. Mac Jones, he was completing over 70% of his balls in the Senior Bowl practices as well. So the Panthers, they got a chance to get to know him. They have more information that we're not privy to here. If they believe he's a franchise quarterback, they're going to sit there and they're going to take him at eight. If they believe that's the case, I'm not going to crush the philosophy on it. Some might say, well, you should just trade down. He's probably going to be available. You don't wait to figure out whether or not somebody agrees with your evaluation. You're probably not going to trade up for Mac Jones. So if you really believe that's the guy, well, stay at eight and odds are he's going to be available to you. I still prefer Lance, though, and it's for this reason and this reason only. When you get past the first three quarterbacks on the board, Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, there is no sure bet. You might feel better about Mac than Lance, but the question shouldn't be who has the lowest floor out of those two players given that Mac played at Alabama, he's older than Lance's. The question should be, who has the higher ceiling? I'm okay if you reach in the top 10. Mac Jones, if Carolina drafts him at 8, regardless of how much he played at Alabama, it's going to be a reach. That's how it's going to be presented. It's Carol Carolina's going to be treated the same way the Giants were for trade, uh, taking Daniel Jones 
a couple of years ago. That's what's going to happen. If you're going to reach, and both those quarterbacks are available on the board, take the one with the higher ceiling. That's my argument on it. Trey Lance, he can move, more mobility. Some say, oh, don't take a quarterback that can't move. I think in Carolina's case, that's a really important deal considering how bad the offensive line's been for the in Charlotte and really who you'd be replacing. Mac Jones seems like a sideways move at best from Teddy Bridgewater while Lance brings you something that Teddy can't bring you in arm strength and movement. But this is the way Mel defended putting Mac Jones at eight when Mike Greenberg asked him about mobility on ESPN's Get Up. Mac Jones, they say, he's like, well, they're dinosaurs. Well, Tom Brady at 43 won a Super Bowl. Drew Brees was still playing at a pretty high level despite injuries and age. Now he's retired. Think about what he was able to do, led his team to the playoffs. So if they're dinosaurs, Tom Brady's proven that you can still be effective in this league as a pure pocket passer if you're accurate and you're smart and you're competitive, and that's what Mac Jones is. You hear that? Tom Brady did it, so you can do it too. Drew Brees did it. You could do it. Too. Let's just bring up Hall of Fame quarterbacks. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Let's let's just assume that the guy you're picking fourth in the draft, the fourth quarterback available, is going to be the outlier. Granted, in the Brady and Brees cases, they turned out to be, but that's body logic at best. Brandon Whedon could do it. He yeah. Did, like, <laughs> Brandon Whedon. Chris Winkie, he could do it. These guys, I mean, come on. <laughs> let's, let's make that argument up and down here. I did have a fun uh, Mac Jones stat if you wanted to. Oh, uh, I'd love to hear this. Uh, so Pro Football Focus has a stat that grades quarterbacks on throws when they're forced to go to their second or third read. Past mm-hmm. their first read, basically, is what the stat is. Gotcha. And over the past two seasons of the top five quarterbacks in this draft, uh, the lowest graded in that metric was Mac Jones. <laughs> and a lot of people can say, Who's oh, the highest he, graded? Uh, I don't have – got to check that out. And okay. I, I think that is Trevor. Trevor is the highest. Yeah, I would hope so. But uh, but how many times did Mac Jones have to go off his first and second or first read? Probably not a lot. Maybe like yeah, three or Devontae, four. <laughs> I'll stand back here for four seconds and just stare at Devontae Smith until he's open. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do, and it's gonna work even in the college football playoff. All right, Hall of Fame sports writer Mike DeCourcy covers all things Big Ten, Big East, college basketball, even broader than that. Works for the Sporting News. Here's the question I want to pose to him. With Virginia Tech losing to Georgia Tech, North Carolina losing last night, Virginia losing to NC State at home in Charlottesville, how many conferences in college basketball today are better than the ACC right now? Mike DeCourcy will join to discuss next on The Drive. We're now the opposite of the front of sports talk because we're, well, we're, we're back to it. Get it? Well, that's not funny. Back to the drive. That's moronic. With Josh Graham. In 15 minutes, I'll do my very best to position the top 10 teams in the ACC and our ACC 10. One question I've been mulling about all day is given the way that Duke's been playing of late and North Carolina losing to below 500 Marquette last night, Who's the better team between those two right now? I can be moved either way on this. So 
I can't think of a better place to start with Hall of Fame sports writer Mike DeCourcy, who joins us now from the Sporting News. All right, Mike, who do you think's the better team at the moment, the Tar Heels or the Blue Devils? At the moment, I think Duke is. They are playing with significant confidence, a nice rhythm to them. They're making shots. Matthew Hurt's been great. DJ Stewart's been very good. Uh, there's there's a lot going well there, but neither team has been any particular uh, has ha- has had any particular quality that could be sustained from game to game. Uh, as 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 a group, each has been inconsistent. That's the nature of being a bubble type team. So, if, if it turned tomorrow, wouldn't be shocked. I mean, we've seen those sorts of things happen many times over the years and many times this season. But it does look rosy for Duke right now. The schedule's ideal, just challenging enough to test them and and give them some good numbers, just not challenging enough that basically they don't have to play Florida State. (laughs) That's basically what that means. Uh, If you're playing anybody in the ACC right now, aside from Florida State, and and you're playing well, you feel like you've got a chance to win. And that's where Duke is. And on the other end of the coin, North Carolina, who do they have up next? Florida State on Saturday. There you Mike go. Corsi's with and us here on Twitter at TSN Mike. Shoot him a follow there. I'm glad you talked about the ACC broadly like that because I started to think about it. And you do a lot of work with the Big Ten and the Big East. You follow college basketball broadly very closely. And the ACC, they looked rosy, to use your word, a few weeks ago when Virginia hadn't had a bad loss this year. Florida State was still in good position. Virginia Tech. They were looking pretty good. Mike Young seems to be a runaway as ACC Coach of the Year. But just look at this week. Virginia loses at home to State. Virginia Tech coming off the pause. They lose to Georgia Tech. And, I mean, Virginia's lost three in a row, for God's sake. So when you look at the ACC as a whole, how many conferences do you feel confident right now you'd put over the ACC this particular year? Well, I'm going to stop short of saying all of them because that would mean the Patriot League would be higher, and I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but this is uh, this is a year in which the ACC, uh, with the exception, as I said, of Florida State, and, and I suppose you could throw Southern Cal in the category with Florida State. So I think that the ACC is kind of looking the Pac-12 in the eye right now. And, I mean, when, 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 the, when the Big East, which is not having a great year by any stretch, can send their – seventh team or whatever it is down to play North Carolina, which is a bubble team trying to get in and win reasonably comfortably. That's not a good look for the ACC. This is not what we are accustomed to. And, and, and look, that doesn't, that one, that doesn't preclude Florida state from going on and doing great things. And it also doesn't mean this is how the ACC is fated to be forever. In 2018, uh, the big 10 had, you know, was, was, so far below its customary standard that Nebraska won 13 league games in an 18 league game season, 18 game season, uh, 18 game league season, 13 and five they were, and they didn't get in, and no one thought it was a it, that it was a robbery. Uh, it, I think even Nebraska knew when they played Michigan on the Friday quarterfinal day, I think it was, and lost. I mean, I went in their locker room and it was like I've never been in a locker room that silent. Because they knew, uh, yeah, we won 13 games. We're not getting in, and so, and now the last two years they've been 12 deep, 13 deep, out of 14 teams. 
Mike DeCourcy with us here from the Sporting News. I got news to tell you here. I always love talking about movies with you. Shoot him a follow on Twitter at DSN Mike. I've, in terms of new movies I've watched, I've watched Judas and the Black Messiah, which I liked a lot. And we talked about One Night in Miami, which is just a tremendous movie. I also saw Casino for the first time this past weekend. Oh. Very long movie. So I sat down and I did the Lord's work in watching De Niro and Pesci on screen with each other. Uh, what is your movie recommendation this week or something you've watched of late? Uh, there are a couple on Netflix. I have not gotten to see Judas yet uh, because our television's like six or seven years old, and so you can't download all the apps you want. So <laughs> our, our, our bedroom television is newer, so we have HBO Max on that because uh, so... Um, so we haven't, I haven't yet sat in the bedroom to watch Judas and the Black Messiah yet, but I will. Uh, but on Netflix, uh, we, we watched The Dig with Ray Fiennes, mm. which is excellent. Uh, really enjoyed that. It's, it's, it's a very thoughtful movie. It's, there's not a lot of action. It's, it's more, a, you know, very much a drama, but it's, it's a wonderful movie. And then my wife and I last Friday watched a movie on Netflix called I Care A Lot. I was hoping you'd say that. I'd hope you'd be saying I Care A Lot. I haven't seen it yet. I'm really oh, excited because oh, oh. I love Gone Girl, uh, Roseman Pike. Did it meet expectations? Is it worth my time? Oh, absolutely. And, oh. and let me tell you, I, I don't, I'm not going to give anything away, but I, 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 I will say that. And I, so I, I will not give anything away by by giving away who the villain of the piece is. It's not that it doesn't take that long once you press the button to know who the villain is. But the villain is I, I hated the villain of this movie more than I ever hated any villain in any movie I've ever watched. Wow. I mean and I mean that. I mean I, I like it that's that's how you know and that's how well done it is that they make you feel a certain way very quickly and very thoroughly. Uh, it is it is it, it you your jaw drops a lot and there was I had a fear toward the end that it was going to give me a, a ending that I wasn't happy with but in the end uh, it gave me a an ending that I I could embrace uh, I it's it's not on the level of of one night or, or you know it's not a best, best picture type movie but it's a wow, that was worth my two hours, or if you know, if we were going to theaters, it would be worth your 20 bucks, absolutely. I, I am sold. Robert Walsh, are you hooked in this? Oh, my God. I care a lot on Netflix. Roseman Pike, I know you like those thrillers, Robert. I do. I, I don't know if I believe you that I'm going to hate this villain more than any other villain, but I that is... A, Who comes a, to mind first when you think villains that you hate? I, I hate when you put me on the spot like this and you're going to make me Google people, but I mean, there, I just feel like there's a lot of great villains. And a <laughs> Who next, else is on Mike DeCourcy's list? Because it sounds like you thought well, about this. People that you hate a lot, even if it's not the very top of the list. Like when you see Die Hard, <laughs> I mean, you don't hate the villain. Like you, Like you want him to lose. But in a way, you kind of like him because he's so bright and so articulate, and yes. and, and you know, and, and 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 all of that. So, but no, man, it's like it, the villain in this piece, like you do not want them to win under any circumstance. Mm. And and let me tell you, the, the 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 as I said, the primary villain is identified fairly quickly. But there are other villains in the movie, and you still root for the other villains over the villain. That's how. <laughs> that's, that's how uh, unlikable 
uh, that person is. You had me at Alan Rickman and uh, Die Hard. You're yeah. the best, uh, well, Mike DeCourcy. Enjoy the basketball. I'm sure we'll be catching up sometime in the month of March. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely, Josh. Thank you. You got it. Mike DeCourcy with us. Robert is still fuming behind the scenes because he thinks thinks it's a blasphemous statement. What Mike said that this movie that neither of us have seen, I care a lot with Roseman Pike, has the most hateable movie villain he's ever seen as a cinephile. Uh, you still haven't forgiven Mike DeCourcy for a take he had a year ago Just regarding Joker. Saying the Joker is pedantic. Like, come on. We, you still I, remember I that. I can't let it go. And I can't let go that this See, is going to be the best movies villain. every time we talk with uh, Mike DeCourcy. Right before the timeout, Robert's just saying under his breath, <laughs> Joker, pedantic. <laughs> Shallow and pedantic. Like, come on. It was a good movie. <laughs> you don't have to say it was bad just to say it. Uh, I was somehow thinking as he was talking, I wasn't going to Alan Rickman and Die Hard. By the way, if there's any that come to mind for you, 336-777-1600 on Twitter at Sports Up Giant, most hateable movie villains, because it's not the most evil. We yeah. love Joker. Yeah, there's we a love line. Heath Ledger's Joker, for example. Where would you put, maybe because I'm seeing the rumors about Happy Gilmore 2 maybe being <laughs> in the works, Shooter McGavin. At any point, did you like Shooter McGavin? See, or that- Ben Stiller as the person that's in that's taking care of his... Is it his aunt? His grandma. His grandma. His grandma. And then Ben Stiller, of course, in Heavyweights, kind of playing a similar character. Oh, that's it. That. Uh, I did not even think. Walt Whitman? His name is not Walt Whitman. It's in not that. Walt Whitman. That it's, is a poet. Uh, he's, but that you're a exactly philosopher, you, you're exactly on the right streak. Because like the villain that I'm thinking of, if you tell me I'm going to hate this villain more than any other villain, it can't be the cool guy. It can't be Darth Vader. It can't be Leonardo DiCaprio and Django. You know what I mean? It has to be a villain. Tony Perkis. To- we cannot. You never liked that guy. No one ever liked Tony Perkis. You never liked that guy. This is the only line from that movie that really sticks out to me. Attention campers. <laughs> Lunch has been canceled due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. They killed the blob. <laughs> I, I'm going to work on a list. I've got a couple here. Uh, All right, give me a few. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Miss Trunchbull from Matilda. Miss Trunchable from Matilda. Because you never like her. You're you're never on her side. You Give me never another. want her to be uh Scar from Lion King. Oh wow. You never think he's too cool. Scar from Lion King. We're going into the animated route now. I don't know. When Scar's singing, you might think he's alright. I don't know. Scar was evil, but there was a coolness to the evil that I think. Checks out there. Let's go to Jeremy in Burlington. Jeremy, give me a movie villain that you find to be the most hated movie villain uh, in your film-watching experience. Josh, love the show, but Ben Stiller in Dodgeball, just the way he acted and all that, and I just could not stand him. Hold one second, though. Hold one second. And this might disqualify heavyweights and Happy Gilmore as well. If you're laughing at the person, if they make you laugh, like, I mean, bleeping Chuck Norris, fat-ass Ben Stiller and Dodgeball at the end of the movie, can, can you say that you hate them when you're laughing with them and at them? That's well, a good point. Maybe that's a good point, but like up until that point, it, it, it's all like you, you just loathe and hate what he's doing, what he's making, um, uh, what's his name? 
Oh, uh, Peter Lafleur. Yeah, what he's doing and going for it. I ah, you just hate him. Now I agree. Maybe at the very end when he makes that comment, like yes, I did chuckle and maybe I had a liking to it. But I just up until that point, I just I was like, just hit him in the head with the dodgeball. Hit him in the face. Come on. Thank you so much for the call. Gosh, I keep going to comedies. His name's Jeremy, so I immediately go to Wedding Crashers. And, I mean, no one likes Bradley Cooper's character in that movie. <laughs> God, that's another good one. When he's talking about, there's no point where I'm laughing at Bradley Cooper except when he's doing, Crab cakes and football, that's what Maryland does! <laughs> <laughs> that's the only part I laughed at Bradley Cooper. Does that disqualify him? No, see, Because he was the worst that entire movie. He's talking about seals and such. I agree with you. I I I think that because like Judge Doom in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like wow. See, he was so I think, scary. I he, think we need to eliminate comedies. I do. It's unfortunate, but I think we have to eliminate comedies. And I'm gonna say animated movies too. See, you but, can't be the most hated if you're in a kids movie. I'm sorry. But Toy Story three. Look at lots of hug bear. Do I you have not, never seen. Oh Toy my Story god. Three or four. I've seen the first two. You gotta check out. There, I think. Animated movies might have the best villains, but I understand what you're saying, and for this conversation, we can get rid of animated films. All right, animated films are out. Comedies are out. We'll revisit this at a later point. Duke, Carolina, Clemson, Louisville. How do you rank those teams? In what order? I've been mulling this all day long. I'll take a stab at it in my ACC 10 next on The Drive. All right, I think all the levels are set. Showtime. Now, right now. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Yeah, I think it would be great, you know, to have people uh, here at Lawrence Shore that support us. And I think there's people that would want to come, and I'm sure our, our guys would, would like to see that. That was Steve Forbes yesterday, shortly after the governor's order that COVID restrictions would ease up tomorrow at 5 o'clock, allowing for venues such as the Joel Coliseum to house more fans than they've had, which right now, and really all season, it's been families of players and friends of players getting those tickets. It's going to be neat to see next week, but to give us more specifics on what exactly that's going to look like, we're now being joined by Wake Forest Director of Athletics, John Curry, We just got a statement from Chapel Hill telling us that for their last two home games, they're going to have a lottery system of sorts, and 75% of the seating they're going to have, it's going to be students getting the priority, and out of those students, we presume seniors going to get priority in that. What can you tell us you expect the Joel to look like next Friday night, senior night, as Wake Forest takes on Georgia Tech? Well, Josh, we're definitely looking forward to welcoming more fans uh, into the Joel next week. Um, you know, regretfully, we only have one more home game, but uh, we'll, we'll have uh, we'll have uh, students there. We we have launched a student lottery for tickets um, at the baseball games uh, this weekend, and as we roll into next week, we'll have uh, we anticipate having a, a, at least one home soccer game, um, and then of course the basketball game on Friday. What's the number? Do you have it on the top of your head? How many that are going to be attending at the Joel? I don't have it on top of my head, uh, uh, Josh. It's a couple thousand, okay. uh, basically, uh, is the opportunity. Um, you know, as you know, we've we've uh, reduced the seating capacity overall because of the the way we've had to push back the bleachers and the seats we've killed, et cetera, uh, to create the safe space for the players. 
Uh, we will prioritize uh, Wake Forest students. Uh, Wake Forest students have worked really hard to stay safe and, and deal with some, um, you know, restrictions that are designed to, to help keep us safe. And, and as the COVID numbers have fallen on campus, we certainly are excited to be able to provide our students uh, an opportunity to get inside and see their basketball team. Have the ADs met yet to talk about the ACC tournament in Greensboro? We we met today, and uh, which we we meet every Thursday, and we did talk about the ACC tournament in Greensboro. The league will make an announcement uh, later on, but uh, I do anticipate uh, we will be able to have, uh, thanks to the governor's order and the continued vigilance of everybody in our state, we will be able to have some additional fans at the at the tournament. How do you begin as the person that helped hire Coach Forbes? into a tough situation, and we acknowledge that from the jump when he was hired, trying to maneuver things through a pandemic. How do you begin to evaluate the job he's done in his first season with all the limitations that he's dealing with given the circumstances? Well, in lots of ways, well, it is. It's unparalleled, right, because he's the only uh, new coach in men's basketball in the top seven conferences uh, this year, the only transition. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I believe it's it's hard. Obviously, we always would like to win more games and have more shots go in. But in terms of um, providing great support for our student athletes, um, we had a, 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 you know our cumulative GPA in men's basketball is above a 3.0, just like it is in all of our sports for the first time in our history. Every sport at Wake Forest has a cumulative GA, GPA of above 3.0. Um, he's done a great job recruiting. Um, you know, we've hit a tough stretch here in the last couple of games. Uh, but as we all know, it's a tough league, and you got some experienced teams that we've been going up against, and uh, and our guys are continuing to fight. What are your thoughts on the personality Coach Forbes has? It's something that I found interesting immediately that he went it back down in talking about Kentucky, for example, and you know Wake Wake Forest basketball was being discussed in a national way, and you know he he he's not afraid to call out things that he sees that are wrong. I don't remember the last time that a coach got ejected in the first half of a game like he did against Duke last week. Of course, these aren't the best things you want, but uh, based on how closely you followed Wake Forest dating back to when you were a student, any coach you think of that's had a personality quite like the one Forbes does? Well, I don't want to get too much into comparing personalities because everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Of course. Of course. I believe one of Steve's strengths is, is among Steve's strengths are that he's extraordinarily passionate. He's extraordinarily competitive. Um, you know, you've been there, Josh, and you've seen on the Zoom post game press conference and stuff like that. You know, he hates losing. And, and one of the reasons, and, and he and I last night talked about it, it's painful to him because he feels for the players and he doesn't want our players and he sees how hard they're working. He doesn't like them to have to experience losing, uh, losing a game uh, like that or the last couple of games that we, we've lost. Um, he is thoughtful. Uh, he's, I, I think he's fairly transparent. You know, he kind of tells you what he thinks. Uh, I've had all kinds of Wake Forest fans and, and, and fans in general who have commented on how much they've learned about basketball, listening to his press conferences. Um, you know, I, I believe you're candidly, Josh, I think he shows respect for the media and yeah. the way he comes in and is prepared for the press. I went in there last night just to see him for a minute uh, after the game. And, you know, he's he's in there preparing to speak to our media and, and our fans via the media. Um, he, he's 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 serious about that preparation. And that's one of the reasons when he when he talks in the media press conferences, um, he, the things he says make sense and are helpful to help understand the game and 
in the broader uh, situation. It's John Curry here with us, Wake Forest Director of Athletics. Um, still waiting. I, I know I saw Coach Clawson last week or two weeks ago talking about the idea of a spring game. I don't know if there's anything official on it. Did yesterday or uh, yesterday's order change the way you feel at all about having a spring game or being unable to do so still? Josh, Coach Clawson and I actually have not talked about it at all. Gotcha. Um, we will certainly – uh, talk about it as is appropriate. Um, you know, one of the things we have to remember, as much as we all want to do that and be able to see our team, et cetera, our, our operations staff and event management staff, they're working double time this spring because we not only have Demon Deacon baseball and tennis and golf and track and field, but we also have Demon Deacon soccer, um, men's and women's soccer, I should say, field hockey, volleyball. Uh, cross country, all playing in the spring because of this, um, you know, the, the deferral of the NCAA championships from the fall to the spring. So right now, just about every athlete at Wake Forest, except football, is quote in season. And uh, you know, as we're producing all those games and event, it is uh, it is a significant um, uh, extra burden on. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll have a, a, a sports medicine trainer who covers you know, might cover one sport in the fall and a different sport in the spring, and now we got that sport, games in that sport, and both those sports happening at the same time. Well, one thing I've enjoyed doing, John, um, as my role here as a, a radio show host who has sponsors and things of that nature, is talking to business owners and the ways they've been able to adapt during the pandemic. And many of them tell us, whether you talk about like a restaurant, for example, hey, we didn't do takeout before. Well, we're going to keep that because that's a revenue stream we want to keep moving forward. I was talking uh, to Will on your communication staff, and he says, well, with Zoom, now that we have this because we were forced to do it out of necessity, well, road games, it's going to allow for media to cover our team better when they're not able to travel um, in sports mm -hmm. moving forward. And I'm just interested, when you think operationally, at what you've been forced to do out of necessity because of the pandemic, is there anything that comes to mind you feel like, boy, I know we were forced to do this because we had to now, but uh, when things get to the post-pandemic time, whenever that is, we're going to continue doing this? Well, you know, well many of those things are, are relating to, co uh, to uh, communications and social media. Um, one of the the elements that I felt like we needed to improve when I came here almost two years ago was that connectivity uh, through social media, video, and uh, and communications in general. It, and so we would always be we would be we would have been doing that anyways. But things that uh, that those guys thought up, like Rhett Hobart and his staff, and Will and his staff, you know, Deacon Virtual Season Ticket. They told me about it last summer. I was kind of like, really? What is that? Is anybody? Well, heck, we got a bunch of people that are dialed into the Deacons from all over the country on the Deacon season, virtual season ticket, including my mother, who's like watching everything now, right? <laughs> and so, it, you know, I, didn't, I had no idea we would do that and it would work. And, and so, you know, I, I'm really proud of the way they've been innovative and created more connectivity, all the Zoom program briefings. Uh, we, can keep, we should absolutely keep doing that stuff, especially when you have a university like Wake Forest. It's a you know, a national and international university that, that, that literally has, you know, constituents all over the globe um, that we want to stay in touch with, that want to stay in touch with the deacons. Um, it, so we should continue to, to leverage those uh, new vehicles, so to speak, to communicate and maintain relationships. Well, John, I'm happy you're going to be allowed to get some fans 
at, at baseball games and at the home finale that these seniors could be sent off with some, I guess, more of a level of normalcy than what we've had throughout the year with some fans being able to cheer him on. And heck, Coach Forbes having fans uh, see him for the first time as well next week. Appreciate you spending the time as always. I know it's been on short notice and there's a lot of things going on with you, but appreciate the time. Hey, Josh, let's not forget the Wake Forest women's basketball tonight at 7 o'clock on AGC Network Extra. Uh, The Demon Deacons are on the bubble under Coach Hoover. Mm -hmm. We've been to the NCAA tournament one time in our history, and she played on the team back in (laughs) 1988. So a great opportunity here uh, with two more games uh, this weekend in in Miami, and then we're up in uh, Florida State over the weekend. And then the ACC women's basketball tournament will start next week in Greensboro, and there will, uh, the official announcement once again will come later, but I do anticipate there may be some single-session tickets available uh, at the women's tournament next week. So ah. uh, keep an eye out for that to get over and, and support the Demon Deacons. And I also want to congratulate uh, Coach Llewellyn, uh, Rachel Keene, our, our medalist, uh, won uh, the golf tournament. Our, our women's team won the golf tournament by almost 30 strokes over Duke and NC State uh, this past weekend. And we got a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, coming up over the next uh, several days this week, we get tennis tomorrow in addition to golf, excuse me, uh, 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 baseball. Uh, so pay attention to GoDeeks.com. And, Josh, I know you'll do a great job, as you always do, of keeping the fans in the triad informed of all the great things that are happening at Wake Forest. We're all with Coach Hoover tonight, the Wake, the Wake Hall of Famer, going to try and get a win and try to get Wake in the tournament. Appreciate you and what you do, John. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Josh. Go Deeks. Yeah, and shoot him a follow on Twitter at John underscore Curry. You'll find some more information there as well. Up next, why North Carolina, as we transition things back to the team in Chapel Hill, it's dealing with some issues after last night. Why that loss yesterday, believe it or not, could be a good thing for them moving forward. Keep it here on a Thursday drive.